The Matrix is a computer-generated dream world built to keep us under control in order to change a human being. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Ping.tv. Join the discussion at Ping.tv slash gold. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. My name is Dustin Gold. Welcome to episode 122. Ladies and gentlemen, we have Wide Awake Jim back again. This is three episodes in a row. We started with 196 documents. I think we've gone through two and a half of those. Now, we have a lot to cover here, folks. Um, If you haven't had a chance, and I keep posting the episode numbers uh, as the newest episode comes out, you can go back, listen to episode 80, 88, 120, 121, and now 122. And this all has to do with the climate change hustle, central bank digital currency, the UN, the BIS, the IMF, the WEF, all these different umbrella organizations that are working to bring this technocratic worldwide slave system forward and so jim has been researching uh this through various documents and articles and white papers and annual reports and uh, panel discussions and everything else trying to dissect this and to start to figure out what cbdc will look like will it be backed by this carbon credit model when is it going to be rolled out how long is it going to take them that's all what we're trying to figure out here and this way we can make moves in our personal lives to work around the system and it's going to be different for everyone because we all have different goals and we're all going to have different solutions to reach those goals so jim is back he wants to start off with an article uh, that came across his radar yesterday. So, Jim, it is great ah, to have you not back yet, on the not show. Not yesterday, Thank you. 15 minutes ago. Oh, 15 minutes ago. Well, in this <laughs> world, in cyber world, that could have been yesterday. It just depends on when the folks are listening. <laughs> uh, and, and let me just point out one more thing. So the young bucks over at pain.tv slash gold, they should be getting up the last three episodes, 120, 21, and 22, with all the documents sometime today and then i'm going to try to see if they can create one page on pain.tv slash gold that has episode 80 88 120 121 122 with all the documents in one place so i'm going to try to do that as well so it's easy for you guys to find all that stuff and when it's done i'll obviously announce that here on the dust and gold standard all right jim so let me pull up this article for you that you just sent over right before we were uh, about to go live. And folks, we haven't even read the whole article yet, so we're going to do it live. But the title is intriguing. BlackRock and State Street admit signing net zero pledges that they did not act on. All right, let's pull this up uh, big on the screen here. Uh, do you want to we'll read it? Read or do you want me to read it? It's up to you. Yeah, you can read it. All okay, right, it says... Again, now, this is BlackRock State Street admit signing net zero pledges they don't act on. During a marathon ESG hearing, a state senator tells them, quote, you can't serve two masters, end quote. And this is by Kevin Stockland. And again, this came out 
uh, last night, it looks like, December 29th. It says, Texas state senators struggled for more than six hours last week to get straight answers from Wall Street Giants, BlackRock, and State Street, two of the world's largest asset managers, regarding what they are doing to compel companies whose shares they own to get in line with the ESG movement. And we've talked about this a lot here on the Dust and Gold Standard, especially with uh, Jim, that these companies come in, they buy a large amount of the shares, and then they try to muscle these companies into adopting these ESG policies, uh, wokeness, stuff like It just depends on what they're pushing. So you go hijack the company, and then you force this. I pointed out, this is why a lot of people get mad. They'll be watching the Super Bowl, and they'll see 45 ads in a row by all these major brands, Coca-Cola, you know, Nissan, Nike, and they're all woke, and you go, how did this happen overnight? How did all these companies seem to be a monolith when it comes to these cultural issues? Well, this is how you get it done. It says, having joined global environmental, social, and governance, that's ESG, clubs like Climate Action 100 Plus and the Net Zero Asset Managers Initiative, NZAM, and signed pledges and, to leverage and, their... And just, just so the people know, we, we have documents on both of these clubs that we will be going through. And can we join those? Are they like a health club? Can we get in? <laughs> no. <laughs> and we're going to go through a BIS document that says we have to get the asset managers like BlackRock and State Street to coerce all their portfolio companies into doing what we want. That's fantastic. So it says here, Climate Action 100 Plus and the NZAM, that's Net Zero Asset Managers, signed pledges to leverage their voting power as the largest shareholders in 90% of the S&P 500 companies to, quote, reach net zero emissions by 2050 or sooner across all assets under management, end quote. The asset managers testified that in reality, they are doing no such thing. <laughs> when asked by Senate Chairman Brian Hughes to clarify BlackRock's pledge to Climate Action 100 Plus, quote, to secure commitments from companies to reduce greenhouse gas emissions consistent with the Paris Agreement, end quote. BlackRock's head of external affairs, Dahlia Blass, responded that BlackRock merely talks to companies whose shares they own to learn about their, quote, material risks and opportunities, end quote. Quote, we participate in Climate Action 100 to engage in dialogue with other participants, market participants, governments, so that we understand issues that are relevant to our clients. End quote, said Blass, who recently joined BlackRock from the Biden administration, where she worked at the Securities and Exchange Commission. The motto of Climate Action 100 Plus is, quote, global investors driving business transition. End quote. Goes on to say, quote, the website doesn't say anything about engaging in dialogue and climate action 100, end quote. Hughes responded, quote, BlackRock's website says, we have joined climate action 100 to help ensure the world's largest greenhouse gas emitters take necessary action on climate change, true or false, end quote, to which Blast responded, quote, sir, what I can say, two things, End quote. Having repeated the question, Hughes asked, quote, can BlackRock send us a witness who can tell us whether that's a true or false statement on its website today? End quote. Quote, sir, if you pulled that off our website, then it is on our website. End quote. Blast responded. 
State Street and BlackRock are two of the big three largest asset managers. Together with Vanguard, they manage approximately $20 trillion in assets on behalf of corporations, governments, and endowments, as well as the savings of tens of millions of people who are investing through vehicles like 401k plans. Vanguard recently withdrew from its membership in Enzam and was excused from testifying in Texas. Asset managers who support ESG policies typically make two contradictory claims in order to make a case that they are not violating their fiduciary duty to people whose savings they manage. They argue that ESG is not an ideology, but rather an essential risk management tool that they use to generate higher returns for their clients. Pause right there. Higher returns for their clients. I challenge anybody to go find a a return study that shows ESG returns are higher. <laughs> it's this is comical. It, go, it goes on to say in a 2021 Euro Money interview, State Street Global Advisors Chief Investment Officer Lori Heinel explained that quote companies who pay attention to their ESG footprint and profile and proactively manage that actually are better managed companies, and that accrues to a longer term shareholder result. End quote. Really, so you have to prove the. Uh, value of your company and the management of your company through managing your esg footprint like that's that's what they're trying to clearly clearly that's an additional cost to the company right i mean that's so obvious they got to create a whole department to track and monitor and report (laughs) all this crap so it's an additional expense what are they saving okay so they're longer long uh longer term shareholder results so are they telling us that we we have to wait till 2050 and then look backwards to see if the ESG companies outperform the others? Yes, you have to enact ESG in order to understand it. <laughs> yeah. It's always the same. It says, simultaneously, asset managers claim that despite what they may have said or pledged, they actually don't do anything to push the agenda on companies and are, in fact, active supporters of the fossil fuel industry. Which, which we already knew that because Jim has already shown us, even on all these climate change uh, councils and committees, the fossil fuel guys are involved with that. Blast told the senators that it has 107 Oh, hang billion- on, but hang on. I'm in the fossil fuel business, right, with oil and gas royalties. Dustin, we talked before we started recording. Did I read this article? No. Oh, did you read it before what? We started? Right now, no, we I no, did not. We, I had no idea that would that sentence was even in there. No, no, you read the first uh, like three paragraphs, and you said, "Hey, I think we need yeah. to cover this on the show." Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's that's why a lot of times I do the same thing. I'll read three or four, and then I like to leave surprises. So when I'm reading it live to the audience, I go, "Oh, look at this!" Blast told the senators yeah. that it has 107 billion with a B invested in public energy companies in Texas. "Quote: We're we've invested." Invested in Texas Energy just the past two years, $31 billion with a B. We believe in these investments. We do not boycott oil and gas. Well, there we go. That's good for Jim and his folks. State Senator Bob Hall asked, quote, where's the empirical data that supports that net zero is good for the bottom line? That is actually... 
that it actually would improve income, improve revenue, and the rest of the things that are stuck in that woke analysis. Where is the empirical data that says that this will actually be a benefit to investment, end quote? Again, this was Senator Bob Hall. And uh, if people want to know about, like, sort of innovating to zero, you can watch the 2010 speech by Bill Gates at TED Talks. His speech was called Innovating to Zero. Uh, that's the one where he actually said that if the vaccines were effective, we could lower the population by 10 to 15%, that famous speech. You should watch the whole thing. I recommend people watch it. Blast responded that based on BlackRock's research, quote, we believe... Hang on. Blast works for BlackRock. So this is not independent third-party research. This is internal. (laughs) Right, exactly, yeah. Quote, we believe that... orderly transition to a low carbon economy is much more beneficial for our clients portfolios a disorderly transition can cost the global economy about a 25 percent reduction in gdp end quote heinel told the texas senators quote i have no evidence that this is good for returns in any time frame in fact we've seen the evidence to be quite contrary last year if you didn't own energy companies you did miserably compared to broad benchmarks this year before that was quite the opposite but this was just a happenstance that's not because it's a good investment end quote Regarding compliance with ESG criteria, BlackRock CEO Larry Fink, you guys know him, stated at the New York Times 2017 Deal Book Summit that, quote, behaviors are going to have to change. And this is one thing that we're asking companies. You have to force behaviors. And here at BlackRock, we are forcing behaviors, end quote. See, forcing. I mean, he, he, he's not hes not even uh, mincing words here. Hughes cited a statement from Fink to CEOs in 2020, quote, climate change has become a defining factor in companies' long-term prospects. We are on the edge of a fundamental reshaping of finance. End quote. He asked Blass how BlackRock thought finance should be shaped. Blast responded that the goal of finance at BlackRock sees it has always been, quote, to find opportunities for our clients and to manage risks in their portfolios so that we can produce the best risk-adjusted returns. And, quote, BlackRock's mission, she said, has not changed. Hughes told Blast, quote, what we're learning is BlackRock says whatever it needs to say to whoever it's talking to at the time. That's what we're experiencing today, end quote. Heinel testified that like BlackRock, State Street joined various ESG clubs like Climate Action 100 Plus, uh, Sears, and the Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero, GFANS, merely to learn, quote, how to think about climate change. And <laughs> quote, Heinel said that they joined just to learn how to think about climate change. Quote, we're trying to understand how these various risks are becoming as important as traditional financial risks, end quote. Remember, we learned uh, yesterday and in past shows with Jim, climate change affects banks. (laughs) So this is where all this fits in. Citing as an example new taxes that may be imposed in Europe on, quote, companies that they believe are bad actors for a climate standpoint, end quote. Well, see, that's important. So is it climate change that are affecting the banks and investment companies, or is it the policies that go into action based on the politicians and the bureaucrats that affect the banks? 
policies based on the fake climate change that all these guys have created. So it's not climate change that affects the banks. It's the politicians and the policymakers, which are owned by the bankers. See, it's all one giant big scam. It's crazy. When asked to clarify why yeah, companies... So this is really kind of interesting as you read through this. <laughs> you know, I'm sitting here picturing, you know, the Bank of International Settlements is, you know, the boss, right? And they told BlackRock and State Street, this is what you're going to do, whether you like it or not. This is what you're going to do. Or we're just going to basically put you out of business. Mm -hmm. um, and so these CEOs and spokespeople for these big companies are sitting there testifying, squirming in the hot seat. And they don't like it. And they don't know how to respond. They don't know how to act. <laughs> That's what well, I'm picturing as you read this. Yes, and well, and let's point this out to the audience because this is true. Those people that are sitting there having to testify are the same type of people that we talked about yesterday, the governors of the central banks that have to sit on the panel discussions and speak on behalf of the BIS and, you know, really behind the scenes, the Rockefeller types. Yeah, and they, really, they got a but, one page with five bullet points, and that's all they know. That's all they, and, but these are all the people that are actually the flesh and blood humans like us who are the ones who, who, whatever, whenever they sold their soul and their job was to, like, this is your job. You're going to make a lot of money, but you're going to have to go out and be the face of all this stuff. These are the ones that actually fear having their homes burned down if there's ever a real revolution. Because, and this is why when they get sent out there by their bosses at BIS and whoever's above them to go out and do this, these are the kind of people we're talking about. Not you and I that push back, but that they push back behind closed doors because they're the ones who go, wait a minute, man. Like, I'm not going out there and saying this stuff. People are going to know who my family are, where I live. Like, these are the type of people that are the puppets. But what what's funny about it is to the system and to the elite, the real elites, these people are all expendable. These are the type of people they throw out there to the wolves. They don't really care. They all are. And so basically the CEO or, you know, these high level people at BlackRock and State Street are expendable. And politicians yeah. are salespeople, but they will flip on a dime. Yeah. You know, those politicians will flip on a dime. And the politicians are all expendable too. I mean, they're they're bought and paid for. Now, if you're a multi, you know, billionaire elitist that invests in a politician, like I get Jim elected to Congressional District Seven and wherever in Florida. I mean, obviously, I'd like to keep Jim there till the day he dies because I don't want to have to go run a whole nother person. But uh, but they'll throw those guys to the wolves too. That's how it get. That's how it gets done. Uh, this goes on to say. Um, when asked to clarify why companies should follow ESG criteria, asset managers cite the effect of government policies like taxes and penalties for companies that don't comply with ESG criteria, as well as state subsidies for renewable energy, all of which are part of what Blast called the, quote, net zero transition the transition to low carbon economy, end quote. According to clubs like Climate Action 100 Plus and GFANS, the role of asset managers who join these clubs is to compel companies whose shares they own into compliance. Heinel Teller can coerce. What's that? Impeller coerce. <laughs> well, exactly. It's yeah, one in the same here. It says Heinel Tesla. I mean, that's what, that's what, um, 
was it Larry Flink earlier, right? In the quote they had from him, he admitted they were forced force them to do it, right? Force them to do it, and coercion is uh, through threat or force. Heinel testified that as an index fund manager, Vanguard must buy and hold the shares of companies included in a given index, such as the S and P five hundred. Therefore, if they want to influence companies' behavior, they must work with executives of those companies rather than avoid their shares. Quote, we engage with companies in our portfolios. We do not uh, divest, end quote. Heinel said, State Street currently owns more than $140 billion, with a B, dollars in shares of energy companies. On the other hand... Let's explain that quote real quick. We engage with companies in our portfolios. What does that mean? That means they go to the CEO and or the board members and they tell them, you're going to get on board with this ESG or we are going to vote you out. And all those stock options you got are going to go bye-bye. Yes. So basically they're threatening them. <laughs> yeah. When we engage with these companies. <laughs> right. We're just we're go- calling them up friendly, asking them questions about what they're doing for ESG. We're not telling them what to do. Okay. And then, well, and let's just make the point from your perspective is when, so you've got BIS at the top, Bank for International Settlements, and then you've got Vanguard, you've got State Street, you've got BlackRock. They are the ones answering to uh, BIS. If BIS says to them, we want this ESG stuff to uh, be real, we want to force these companies to comply with it. And then as we see over the last, what, three, four, five years, ESG started to come to the surface people have heard more about it on you know in independent media even a little bit in the mainstream media so that's how they do it they use those three to go in buy up shares of these companies take some control and then force these policies well they didn't use those three to buy up the shares this was a slow transition uh i think i told the story on one of mike's hot wires it just kind of hit me one day When I first got into the financial planning world in 1995, it was really stock brokering. And the old school guys were, you know, took me to the side and said, this is how you do it, son, right? Um, And because I was in my mid 20s. And they they would buy, they would select a stock or a bond, individual bond that the analyst at the company that you worked for really liked and you'd have some report the analyst put out and then you would call investors and get them to buy the stock or bond well mutual funds had kind of just they had been around but they were really taking off in the early to mid 90s um and all these individual investment companies like morgan stanley had their own mutual funds which don't exist anymore um and, and and there was a whole big stink about that but so there's been a transition i'd say from really the mid 80s on get shifting away from investors buying individual stocks and bonds to buying mutual funds and then etfs came along later uh, right around i think 2005 six seven like something like that um and, and because you could diversify easier right so one transaction you buy a fund you're diversified uh, versus buying 10 or 15 or 20 individual stocks. Okay. And so this shift has happened over over a couple of decades. But with that shift, you know, when you own an individual stock, you get to vote your shares. When you own that stock, in that company stock, whether it's Coca-Cola or whoever, if you own it in a mutual fund, the mutual fund manager gets to vote your shares, not you. Mm-hmm. 
And that's how they got BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard to basically, they, they didn't tell them to go buy up all these shares. They, they shifted the way investors invest. Social engineered it. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, so when you look at when you look up some of these big, um, uh, I think Microsoft is one of them. So Microsoft, when you look up the top ten shareholders in Microsoft, the top three, I don't know what order they're in off the top of my head. It's Vanguard, BlackRock, State Street. All right. So when you look yeah, you at you pull that, up any of these big companies yeah. in the S and P five hundred, um, and and you go to the top shareholders, you'll see those three. You might see Fidelity up there. Uh, you might see T. Rowe Price, or, you know, a few other big asset managers, but l largely you're going to see these three. So now when they're controlling uh, like the top three slots in the, say, the top 10, um, now are they, they're getting board seats uh, on the well, board they of directors? they get to vote the majority of the shares. So yeah. if Vanguard, BlackRock, and State Street own 30% of the shares outstanding, they own 30% of the company. Right. That's a, that's enough to if they all vote the CEO out or the board member out, you're not going to overcome that. You're not going to be able to overcome that thirty percent no vote from those yep. three. And it's it's interesting because I'm going to do uh, probably in a couple of weeks. I'm going to pick back up. I started on Saul Linsky, who I studied years ago, but he had this model years ago. He'd go around, he tore the Catholic churches. That's that was the audience he was speaking to, and he was getting people to turn over their stock proxies in these companies that he wanted to attack. So he would say, "I want to attack Eastman Kodak," and then all these people would turn over their proxies to him to allow him to have more power to go in and threaten. And this is basically what they're doing. I mean, at a huge huge like global level now but um right. so so what happens is if you've got the three of them in there that are all taking orders from bis right then all yep. of a sudden they want to go implement something like esg or they want to implement i don't know some transgender wokeness and they want that to become the brand of the nike now it's very easy to do it because they can just threaten to remove the ceo if he doesn't go along well go, right go look up what happened to, to exxon mobile's board Two years ago, I think, this little tiny company called Engine One, uh, an activist company. Of course, you know, we were, you could probably find out who funded them, but it's it's difficult. So, but it doesn't matter. They owned, I think, like 0.1 or 0.2% of the shares of Exxon. They got voted to get two board seats. We'll move <laughs> wow. over. BlackRock, State Street, Vanguard. Oh, okay. All right. So then they gave them a board seat and then they answered to BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard. So at the end of the day, they weren't really some uh, anti-fossil fuel little activist no, they company. Are. Well, these, 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 but yeah, these they might have been, but then they sold their G and all that. But, but there's yeah. no way they would have got on Exxon's board without the support of those three asset managers. And it, it was a shot across the bow like, hey, Exxon. You're going to do as we tell you or the board members out. Wow, that's cool. Oh, man, these guys are brilliant.